Do you ever feel like the whole world has gone insane? Yeah, you're not alone. I feel that way. In fact, the majority of people feel that way. The truth is, we were all sold this great lie that being part of a silent majority was something we should be proud of. Being a silent majority allowed a very loud, angry group of people to control everything. And problem there is, that small group of people, they're communists. I say that myself as someone who's the son of a Cuban refugee who had to flee communism. I know the reality of how important the American dream is. I know how quickly we can lose freedom. And that's why this is our last stand. I'm your host, Robbie Starbuck, and I'm going to be diving deep on the issues and people that matter so that together we can save the American dream and once again become a loud majority that steers the direction of this country. If you're with me and you want to spread truth and wake up the masses, you're in the right place. Together, one piece of truth at a time, we can save America. Hey guys, how are you guys doing this afternoon? <clears throat> um, warning in advance, you hear any thunder outside? Uh, we got a storm in town, so don't worry about it. Um, I want to start with what's going on in China right now. So I'm going to show you guys a video. This is a compilation of the protests you may have been hearing about. This is raw video from the ground in China, and I'm kind of going to explain what's going on there and how the Chinese government is responding now. So uh, here's a video to show you what is going on. What you're about to watch is nothing short of incredible. All over China, people are rising up, not just in one city, but across the entire country, protesting the tyrannical COVID lockdowns, protesting, shouting, demanding freedom. This man here demanding that Xi Jinping be removed as the leader of the Communist Party and that the Communist Party come to an end in China. They want freedom. They are done with the tyranny. And I'm reminded of some important words that have always inspired me, that when tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. And that is what we're seeing play out across China right now. China has a reputation for cracking down quickly and firmly against protests, throwing people in prison and doing God knows what to them. But this is different. Never in our lifetime have we seen such numbers with cell phones readily available, people marching in the streets, demanding an end to the Communist Party, demanding that Xi Jinping be removed as president, demanding freedom. This right here is history that we're watching. This is something that could turn into a moment that none of us ever forget. So I stand behind the Chinese people who are rising up demanding freedom, and I hope you do too. All right, so um, since I put that video out, uh, that was about 36 hours ago, the protests have swelled all across China. And now this is what they look like. This is a short video, but this just shows how these protests have swelled beyond. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. And this is happening not just in one place in China. So this is not just Beijing. This is not just Shanghai. This is all over the country. Okay. Um, you know, in China, it's not that protests never happens. It is fairly rare. It's that you don't see protests on this scale and you don't see them widespread across the country for the same reason. And so I warned immediately about 36 hours, 48 hours ago, that uh, China's crackdown was coming. Number one, one of the things that makes this protest unique is that young people are leading it. And traditionally, when you look back at revolutions of the past, it's generally the young people that lead the most dangerous ones to authoritarian leaders. And so um, the youth of China are being bold in ways that previous generations never would have dared. And so, you know, she has a conundrum on his hands because, you know, obviously the world has changed. And it's going to be a lot harder for him to do things that he used to be able to do without serious economic pain. And the problem is China's economy is already in a really horrible place. And, you know, the truth of that is that's that's underpinning a lot of the protest and unhappiness. And so to see these masses of Chinese people rising up and demanding freedom and essentially explaining that they want a system very similar to what you know America is founded on. Um, you know, it's stunning. It really is. It's stunning to see them take that step. And this is another reason that I say, 
you know, Americans here who complain and say, uh, you know, uh, I don't feel like I can talk about what I really believe. I don't feel like I can stand up for what I believe in because I might face this consequence or that consequence. I might lose friends. Somebody at work might not like me anymore, whatever it is. It looks so incredibly weak when you see these people in China and in Iran who are risking their lives, their livelihoods, everything they've ever worked for, their family's safety to stand up and say, we want to be free. The, the simplest uh, of all things, you know, this God-given right that we all are born with to be free human beings that are children of God, that's something that, you know, I think too many of us take for granted. And here's the reality. If you don't speak up now in the place we're at in America, then you end up in that place in future generations where our children or their grandchildren are going to be the ones who have to take the risk of risking their life, their livelihood, and everything they know and love to be able to just say that they want to be free. And so I warned, you know, about 48 hours ago that this crackdown was coming. And one of those things that I warned about, I'm going to throw up real quick, was the VPN. Um, I said, you know, with youth being behind this, um, China's going to go and crack down on the VPNs. And so, um, you know, to back that point up now, I want to show you guys a quick video. This is happening. Um, let's see here real quick. We're going to pull up a clip. This is what China is doing with So they're going on public transit and they're actually taking people's phones and they're searching them out to see if they have VPNs. And if they do, those people are then dealt with. Okay. Um, so we're talking about why are these protests happening? I'm going to pull up some other videos. Um, let's look at how authoritarian things have gotten in China. That right there, if you missed it, was a grown man inside of a pod being pushed by what they call great whites, okay? The great whites are these, you know, authoritarian, you know, police state beings who honestly, like, it's hard to believe they're actually real human beings, but they are, that go and they enforce the tyranny of people like Xi Jinping. And so um, the, they're pushing this guy around in quarantine, okay? And now where is that guy headed? He's probably headed somewhere like this. Okay, that right there, that's a quarantine camp. And you might be wondering with these quarantine camps, you know, sort of what what scale this is being done at. And um, I have to say, it's, it's absolutely massive. When you see this, um, I'm going to show you in a second. First, I want to show you, they're even doing this with a little kid. So it looks like we may be missing the video of the, the mass, but I, I want to show you the massive site. I'll bring it on next live stream, but it's basically, I mean, these, these camps fit at times a quarter million people in them. Okay. And they're building these camps all over the place, all over the place. And so um, if we don't want that future, we have to stand up now because these people in China are standing up to this. And it's very brave because this is what they're doing at homes, too, in China. When they talk about this zero COVID policy, by the way, a policy that Dr. Fauci, I hate even calling him a doctor, that that fraud Fauci backed, that zero COVID policy, this is what it looks like in reality, okay? That's a door being welded shut, Okay a door being welded shut, the people are inside of. And you may have missed this, but this past week, a building of people caught on fire and nobody could save them because they were locked inside and they died in China. That's another one of the reasons why people are protesting. All of these things, you put it together, the economic conditions, the zero COVID policy, everything else, this is why the people there are rising up. And it really shouldn't surprise anybody. Now, when you talk about the authoritarian nature of this, what can China do to your average citizen? This is something you need to know about because this is something that has been talked about here in the United States and in North America at large, okay? And this is the QR codes. Okay. 
What you just watched was a Chinese citizen's QR code going red. When it goes red, you lose access to everything. You cannot go shopping. You cannot go home. You are quarantined in most cases. But even if you're not quarantined, you have no access to anything. So you essentially become homeless and penniless all at once. And the government is able to take every one of your possessions. That's how easily they can flip this system. Now, this is all a part of the larger social credit system, which, again, is something that we have to be on top of here in America and make sure our lawmakers are on top of so that we never have a system like this. If you've heard about ESG scores, these ESG scores are the corporate version of a social credit system. OK, and so, you know, that's something that, again, is also poison for our system because it's the beginnings of a larger social credit system to push on to the consumer. So imagine a world where they're able to say, oh, you spoke to this person who said something against the government three years ago. They're a very dangerous person. You're docked two points. OK, and now imagine once you're docked 20 points, you lose a thousand dollars. You know, you're docked 50 points. You lose, you know, access to health insurance, whatever it is. OK, that's how far the system can go. And it's incredibly dangerous, you know, so um where does this all connect to the next story? The next story is Apple, okay? And I wanna show you guys how this connects. So my friend, Will Chamberlain, great, great guy. He said, if Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, decides to force Twitter off the App Store while preventing Chinese protesters from communicating via airdrop, the destruction of Apple's monopoly power will have become the top priority of our party. He is correct. And so the way these connect, Apple, turned off the ability to keep airdrop on all the time because protesters in China use that, okay? So this is helping the tyrannical regime in communist China, and Apple's happy to do it, okay? And that's obviously, you know, I think at least to me, that's happening because of the business relationship. Apple is China. China is Apple. You know, they, they they go together like two peas in a pod, unfortunately. When you look at the worker conditions, there are places like Foxconn and, and elsewhere where they produce Apple products. You see Apple has benefited enormously off of what is essentially some form of slave labor. And so um, this is the next part of this. Apple then, within that same 24-hour period, then threatened Twitter, Elon Musk says, threatened to pull Twitter from the App Store, but won't tell them why. So on one hand, we have Apple helping a tyrannical regime over in China. And on the other hand, we have them attempting to help the American left, the Democratic Party, to silence their opposition online. Because you can sub free speech out at this point for wrong opinion that we don't like. And that's basically any opinion to the right of Karl Marx. I mean, I, I'm being a little facetious, but honestly, that's that's what it's turning into. And so, you know, this all goes together. You start to look again at that corporate structure in terms of how corporations are being used by government to discriminate against certain people. And so I thought this was something very important for people to see. Ninety seven and a half percent of Apple's donations and this is Apple employees donations went to the Democratic Party, okay? So, you know, you ask yourself, why would Apple be so crazed to go and take a move as drastic as kicking Twitter off the App Store? It's political. I mean, it's very simple. There's something called Occam's razor where essentially the simplest explanation is the most likely one. And that's the case here. The simplest explanation is that these people are partisan activists at Apple and they're using their partisan biases to excuse squashing dissent, squashing speech because they're afraid of it. And the truth about that is, again, you go to that simplest explanation is the most likely one. Why would they feel that way? Because they know they can't win the debate of ideas. They know that if we go one-on-one -on -one with one another and we debate the ideas, that they can't handle it. They won't win. Their ideas lose as soon as you bring any scrutiny to it. You know, and again, that's sort of a, a longer-term thing I've talked about, how the left never wants to debate. I've offered to debate many of these people on the left. None of them will do it. I've offered money up to charity. I offered 100000 to charity at one point for AOC to debate me, and she wouldn't do it. So my, my point is, is that these people fear speech for a reason. And Elon Musk said something that, you know, and I know there's some trepidation around Elon Musk, and I think rightfully so, um, but he's, he's doing some good things that I think we have to give credit for. 
And he was absolutely right with what he said here today. He said, this is a battle for the future of civilization. If free speech is lost in America, tyranny is all that lies ahead. And that's absolutely true. It reminds me of something Ronald Reagan said. Ronald Reagan used to tell this story about um, these Cu this Cuban refugee and these two businessmen. And the Cuban refugee told this story and the two businessmen um, then looked at each other. And one of them said to the other, you know, um, oh, man, we're so lucky. And the Cuban stopped him and said, no, 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 no. I'm the lucky one. I had somewhere to go. If this happens in America, you don't. And that's the truth. And I think that's something that, you know, Elon's tapping into is this understanding that this is a very dangerous place that we're in, a territory where we're, we're silencing people. So this is another thing I said. I said, you know, Apple's already on thin ice. They exploit criminally cheap labor in other countries while looking the other way at human rights abuses in those tyrannical countries. And then they help dictators squash dissent by limiting tools like airdrop. If they attack free speech, it's going to backfire. And let me explain how. Okay, about 18 months ago, I actually called on Elon Musk to create a competitor to Apple. And the reason I did that is because um, everything about creating a new space like this, where you're actually able to challenge a behemoth like Apple, is all about brand loyalty. Okay, the reason Apple is the size that it is, is it has extreme brand loyalty. People trust their products that they've had there before, and so they continue to buy there. The growth goes on and on. It becomes part of popular culture, so on and so forth. The only person I could identify out in the world today that has extreme brand loyalty and the ability to actually make a competitive product that could be disruptive in any way and be able to match, if not exceed, what Apple's doing was Tesla. And so uh, Tesla obviously is owned by Elon Musk. Um, well, it's a publicly traded company, but Elon's the CEO and has, you know, lion's share of shares. Um, and so, you know, I've called on him to do that. And it looks like that may be the next step of what's coming because Apple threatening to kick Twitter off the uh, app store. Elon has said essentially that if they do that, he is going to be forced to launch a, a Tesla phone and app store. And I can think of nothing better, honestly, in, in, you know, on one hand, I would love to see Apple do the right thing and not kick them off and allow free speech to thrive. But on the other hand, I almost hope they do. And we can hasten what's coming in the future anyways. And Elon can get started on this alternative and be able to launch it fairly quickly because he has a network already. So some people might be thinking, oh, you need a network for phones. He has Starlink. So he has a global network already set up to be able to run a phone business. And so... This is sort of a no-brainer in terms of all of the things that he's involved with, and it'll provide us another piece of safety in these times where everything's so divided and the Democrats are using corporate structures against us in order to silence us. So I think that that's a hopeful, a hopeful message I could give here is that, you know, I do think that we're in a time and a time that's coming where these alternatives are being built, and I think there's going to be some that I'm going to be talking about over the course of this year, because one of our goals as a family is that by the end of 2023, we want to be entirely, entirely divorced from this system that hates us. That means no more purchases from companies that hate us, no more money given to, to these corporations that make radical donations to far left Democrats. So we're identifying all these great companies along the way, and we'll be sharing with, with the audience you know, and everybody we know ways to get out of this system where money keeps getting funneled to companies that hate us. And so you know, um, the hope is there. And that's something that, that I think um, we can all kind of hold on to. Now, and another disgusting story I want to bring up is this Balenciaga deal. Um, so this, this sort of puts together um, a good start for this story. This man said, when Balenciaga hires you to shoot their new lookbook and you show up to find a toddler laid across a sofa with wine glasses and bondage gear arranged around them, you walk away, period. He's absolutely right. And so for those of you who have not seen this, um, if you have kids around, um, you know, this this can be a, a little troubling. So, you know, pause, come back. But I'm going to show you some images. They're not, you know, no nudity or anything like that. Um, but, you know, so this is the Balenciaga ad campaign, a, a, a little taste of what they were doing. So this is a child. Those are wine glasses and champagne glasses in front of the child. And that doll behind the child has bondage gear on. And then um, this is another child. Again, the doll has bondage gear on and the child obviously is made to look sad. And then uh, again, another uh, child with this doll in bondage gear. Okay, this is just a start. You might think, okay, that by itself is horrific. What the heck is going on here? And so, you know, my wife and I, we put the story out uh, last week now, I guess it would be, or at the beginning of the week, 
I can't remember quite what day we we put it out, but it exploded across the internet. I mean, my Instagram video has uh, over a million views and it got millions of views on other platforms. So people, this story has gone far and wide. Um, and as people have dug deeper, they've found some really, truly disturbing stuff. So I want, I want to start there with the disturbing parts of this. And then I'm going to explain, you know, actually, you know what? I'm going to explain how some of this stuff happens first, okay? Myself, having been a director, I've directed Oscar-winning actors, actresses, some of the biggest music stars. So I understand how production works. I understand how a product comes to be from conception to endpoint. Now, with photo shoots, you know, I've been friends with some big photographers, so I understand exactly how this process works. Um, in some of these cases with big design companies like this, the company itself has a concept. They hire a photographer, a photographer shows up, they shoot it. In other cases, they hire an agency outside who handles everything. They put it all together and the company approves everything along the way. Now, here's the reality I want to talk about is the fact that Balenciaga put out an apology. Okay. And this apology was... There's no nice way to, it was BS. You know, I mean, it's they're doing what they think they need to do to save their behinds. But the truth is, they don't acknowledge the reality that there were many, countless adults who worked there at Balenciaga, who had to have signed off on this, who had to have seen the images, who had to have known exactly what was going on. And none of them raised a red flag and said, hey, you know what? I'm uncomfortable with the fact that these photos seem sexually exploitive of kids. I'm uncomfortable with us putting sexual bondage gear on a teddy bear, a childlike item, and coupling it with a child and then putting alcohol glasses on the table. I think that that's sending a really bad message. Not one adult stepped in and had the courage to say something, or you know, we don't even know if they wanted to, but they at least didn't have the courage to. And so this might speak to why, what I'm about to show you. So this is a quote that was unearthed um, from Vice, uh, Vice has a, a magazine called ID. And in 2016, this quote was given by um, Demna, who is the creative director of Balenciaga. Here it is. Says, uh, Lada, Gasha, and I grew up on child Actually, you know what? Let me go to the wider quote because that one cuts part of it off. Someone wrote that Lada Volkova, Gasha Rubchinsky, and I grew up on child pornography and radiation from Chernobyl, which is why we're all so effed up. That's a Demna... I don't know how to say his last name, the creative director of Balenciaga. Okay. Um, Lada, the person he talked about, I'm going to pull up a photo of her. Um, this is Lada Volkova. She was a top designer for Balenciaga and Adidas. Um, and those are two babies, you know, baby dolls that she's holding in this photo, um, seemingly covered in what looks like blood to me. I mean, I don't know what else you would call it. And, um, you know, the other guy that he spoke about in this piece, Gasha, okay, you'll see that up on the screen, it says the name Gasha. Gasha Rubchinsky, he was accused by a minor of coercing the minor into sending nude photographs, okay? That was just two years after that quote was given. So there is something poisonous at the root of this tree. And that's what I always look for is what's at the root of somebody or at a company, because bad things can happen to good people sometimes. And this is not a case of that. This is a case of the root is spoiled. It is rotten. It is poisoned. It is toxic. And nobody with a good conscience, conscience can do business with a company or a person like this, where the root is spoiled to that degree, period. Um, you don't have the freedom or the right to an international mega company raking in millions of dollars. Um, that's something that is, is earned through trust and, and work. And, and honestly, what's sad is that's not the case anymore, but that's how it should be. And so I think people need to really rise up in this case and call on all the people who sell Balenciaga to drop them. So that's your Nordstrom's, your Neiman Marcus, things along those lines, Saks Fifth Avenue, calling those places or emailing them and just letting them know, hey, I'm disturbed by this ad campaign and I I can't shop at your establishment anymore if you have this product line. That's something that's easy that all of us can do. And so I encourage people, be that change maker and you know, make that call, make that email. It takes you a couple minutes to do. It doesn't take long. You know, my wife and I did it's quick, okay? This is something we can all do to hold a company accountable for exploiting children. And um you know, I think I think that's important. I think that this is a type of stuff we have to do. But to um, sort of move on to a similarly disturbing story here, um, 
I want to pull up. I mean, this is, you guys are going to not believe this one. Who knew that the non-binary Biden nuclear official turned out to be a bad guy? He was charged with stealing a woman's luggage at an airport, okay? And no shocker, there's no consequences. No consequences. He's not losing his job or anything. I just want to give you a little background on this person. He's part of this sacrilegious group of drag queens drag queens who dresses nuns. Okay. And, and they make up these sacrilegious names and I'm not even going to repeat. They're horrific. They're awful. Okay. And they sexualize the names of nuns and it's awful, a truly awful stuff. The guy taught a kink class, um, for, uh, students and he's a part of, I forget the exact name of it. It's like some sort of dog kink thing where where they they walk each other on leashes and stuff i mean truly some bizarre weird behaviors this is who the biden administration i mean they really know how to pick them the democrats let me tell you they know how to pick these people i don't know where you find someone like this but then to highlight all of these insane immoral things that the person's interested in as if it's some sort of win that you hired the first crazed person who's into some weird dog fetish like when are we gonna stop promoting these oh we hired the first person to, to eat peanut butter while typing on a keyboard. Like, can we stop with this stuff? And especially when it's something as horrific and disgusting as what's going on with this person. But the fact that he's he's receiving no consequences is truly stunning because he admits he stole it. He admits he lied to the police because when he was first called and asked about the bag, he said, oh, um, well, my clothes were inside the bag, so I can't return the clothes, but if it's somebody else's bag, I'll give it back. And then later admitted, oh, okay, actually, it did have her clothes. I grabbed it by mistake, and I got scared, so I left the clothes at a hotel, and that was it, and I didn't want to leave the bag because I thought that would be weird. That That's his story, okay? Now, what's they obviously they go to the hotel the hotel says, Nope, we don't have any clothes. So obviously that's BS. And then on the other side of this, they then go and track and they see in, in video from other times he's at the airport. He's been using this bag for over a month. Okay. It was not his bag. He stole this from a lady and he admits it yet. No consequences and is not losing his job. If any of us did the same thing, we would be fired so fast our heads would spin and we'd be in jail. They'd probably charge us with some kind of hate crime. <laughs> you know, I mean, they would go all the way. But this guy does it and it's like an oopsie daisy. There there used to be, um, there was a clip on um, one of these cartoon shows and they, they basically, I, I want to say it's South Park or something like that. It went viral. It was like a viral meme. I don't watch any of these shows, but I saw the meme. And it's basically somebody like this with one of these identities um, goes to a bar. They do something horrible. And the bartender's like, hey, how dare you? Why would you do that? And they go, I'm blah, blah, blah. And they name their identity. And the bartender goes, oh, 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 I didn't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No problem. No problem. And that's basically what our world has turned into is like, as long as you have some identity that can claim victimhood, then everybody's like, oh, it's okay if you commit a crime. No problem. It's just crazy to me. Um, but in a totally unrelated story, um, the Daily Mail has an exclusive. They did an investigation. They found that in California, they identified over 7,000 pedophiles who were charged and convicted of pedophilia. I mean, truly horrific acts from rape, sodomy, sexual abuse, and so on and so forth of kids under 14. And they found that all over 7,000 pedophiles were released within one year within one year of going to prison, all released early, why would a state like California do this? And here's, here's just some backup there so you can see what Daily Mail said. They said they, it revealed 7,000 plus sex offenders were convicted of lewd or vicious acts uh, with a child under 14, and those 7,000 pedophiles were released the same year. Um, you can't see the very bottom of that, sorry, because of the banner, but the truth is, Democrats are elected Democrats. I'll be specific. Elected Democrats are the best friends that pedophiles could ever ask for. They protect them at every turn. They make laws that undermine child safety at every turn. They pass criminal bail policies that eliminate bail and let people out. They create these insane COVID policies that let people out of prison early. I mean, really, they don't have any any reason not to release people early. That's all Democrats do is they release violent criminals early. It is a threat to children. And I want to be very real about this. OK, this is not just my partisan you know, bias on. This is reality. The Democrats in California 
are contributing to aiding and abetting pedophiles to go and rape children. When you release pedophiles knowing the rates of them reoffending are as high as they are, and you release all of those people early, thousands of pedophiles, you are directly contributing to their next victims. Their next victims are only victims because of the Democrat politicians in California who are allowing this to happen, period. No one with a conscience can vote for these people to be in office, and everyone who does should be shamed relentlessly for it because they are signing off and saying it's okay for us to release violent pedophiles who rape children. I will never be okay with that. Anybody with a heart or a soul will not be okay with that. And I think that more people need to know about it and understand it so that something can be done about it. And that has to be done at the voting booth. It has to be done through activism where we're ballot harvesting better than Democrats. And we're doing the work necessary to beat these people because this, this is monstrous. We're not talking about tax differences. Okay. And this might be a harder point for some of the older audience to, to get, because I know the older audience, one of the great things about your generation was that the political parties, the main political parties, they negotiated and they came to a middle point and they found sort of like a common, a common good point where everybody could say, you know what, we negotiated, we got to a point kind of in the middle and, and, you know, things ended up the better for it. That's not the world we live in anymore. There's, there's a difference between negotiating with somebody who wants a 10% tax policy and you want a 5% and you end up at seven and a half, and then negotiating with somebody who believes that pedophiles should be allowed out of prison and be free to go reoffend people, and people who believe that children should have their genitals mutilated and cut off if they just decide they want to. You can't negotiate with that. There's no middle point that's acceptable period. The middle point of evil is still evil. And so that's why I try to explain this sometimes to that audience who's used to this world where Democrats and Republicans had to come together and find a common good. I would love to get back to that world where it's just differences in tax policy and we have some shared morality. But the problem is, is we are in a moral crisis. And when you're in a moral crisis, you can't get to that point unless you fix the moral crisis. And so that's really the, the imperative we have is to deal with that moral crisis that's destroying the country and destroying the fabrics of everything we know and love, because that's how we get back to that place that that older crowd was more used to, where the two sides, they negotiate their, their very, you know, honestly, um, kind of insignificant differences in many ways. Um, when you look at it from the vantage point we're in now, a lot of the things we used to have differences over seem kind of silly and petty in comparison to this moral crisis we're in. And so that's something, again, this can't just come from me. You know, um, I have people come up all the time and say, thank you so much for, for speaking out and doing this and that. I, this isn't only my job. This is your job too. And I always say that to people like, don't be part of a silent majority. Be part of a loud majority. Speak up for what you believe in. Tell the people you love these same things. T tell those people who say they wish we could get back to that sensible place that the only way back there is to resist evil. Because you can't negotiate with evil. And, and the more we normalize that understanding, the sooner we will be able to get to a place where we can get back to the table and negotiate with reasonable, sensible people. But that's not happening tomorrow. So we have to do the hard work of waking people up first. Um, and that's sort of my uh, monologue on that, I guess. Um, I want to bring up something else that's going on. Um, the IRS has stated that Americans must report payments on Venmo, PayPal, over $600 and apps like that. And so it's, it's interesting because, um, when they passed this law, um, to hire 87,000 IRS agents, the Democrats said, oh, we're going after billionaires. They're not going after billionaires. They never were. It was a lie. They're going after you. And people are going to start to realize that as enforcement ratchets up and they start, you know, getting real ticky tacky on every expense. And some people, you know, have said, oh, well, I thought this was already the law where you have to report, you know, expenses over $600. It was not already the rule. Um, the rule was is employers, because I've been an employer. I had to report when I paid somebody um, over $599. Okay, so we had to 1099 them and give them 1099. Then they go and they report it on their taxes. We give it to the IRS, so on and so forth. However, if you are on your, let's say your, your Venmo app, okay? and you Venmo somebody $605 because you want to buy some wood from them that they've already purchased, okay? 
um, and they've already paid tax on that money, okay? But you go and you make that transaction. You now have to report that transaction, okay? Why? This should be non-taxable income in the first place. If it's money you've both already paid tax on and this is a private transaction being done, um, this isn't something the government should even have purview over in the first place. But beyond that, why are you being required to itemize then? It's so the government can track everything you do. They want to track every expense, every dollar, because they want to know exactly what you're doing to find out what kind of threat you are to them. And that's something that, again, you know, um, when I was younger, I remember after 9-11, a lot of people would say, that you know you have to be willing to trade some privacy for security and that if you're not doing anything wrong you shouldn't have a problem with that and the problem there is is that um you know you're trusting that the people in charge are good people you're, you're trusting that the people in charge don't have any sort of nefarious plans and now see um as i've grown up and i've started to understand the way all of this works I have come to the reality that the people running things are truly evil people um, for the most part. There's, there's, you know, some good ones sprinkled in, but um, for the most part, truly evil people in power and bureaucracy itself is sort of a machine of evil. Doesn't matter if there's good people in it or not, because the machine itself, the way it's oiled, the way it's built, it's evil. And so when you trust bureaucracy to do good, it's sort of like trusting a dog um, with a stake. To, to keep watch over it and to not let anything happen to it. That dog's going to eat the steak. Okay. Um, and so my message to people is we've got to wake up to this reality that everything the government is doing is leading towards that stuff that I, I showed you guys earlier in the show that China's doing to people. And this is just, it's the start, you know, they, they move inch by inch because if they do it slowly and it's just inch by inch by inch, you don't create much resistance. Now, if you did 100 feet at once, there'd be huge resistance. And so you have to think of it that way. The slower you do it, you loosen things up. People just sort of get like, eh, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Eh, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. And it goes on and on and on in that pattern until suddenly you realize you're 100 feet away from where you were five years ago. And you go, oh, wow, how did we get here? Well, you got there very slowly in terms of day-to-day -day changes. And nobody stood up against it. And so if we don't want that to happen, we have to stand up. And here's here's another one of those little examples of just changing in our culture, okay? The World Health Organization has renamed monkeypox over racism concerns, okay? So a couple of woke idiots at the World Health Organization had somebody complain, probably themselves, that monkeypox was racist, um, which in itself I would like to examine because I'd like to know who exactly linked monkeypox to a skin color because... The reality is, if you're saying monkeypox is racist, that means somebody's linking monkeys to a skin color, okay? So whoever's doing that is the one who's racist, because I never did that. Everybody I know didn't do that. We didn't hear the word monkeypox and go, oop, we're thinking about these people. Nobody did that. It's it's ludicrous. It's like saying, like, we have to rename Lyme disease because the limes are angry about it, you know? Or we have to rename chickenpox because we don't want roosters to get upset. It's ludicrous, you know, or like chicken pox remind us of white people, you know, because chickens have white feathers and white people. It's ludicrous, ludicrous. And the more we give this over where where official institutions are taking the positions of absolute lunatics, the more we begin to understand the lunacy of the idea that we should give up some of our privacy for security. Because let me tell you, these woke lunatics are not providing you any safety, period. You're just giving up your privacy. You're giving up your rights. That's it. That's the reality. And so this old paradigm that used to be sold about, oh, you got to give a little to get a little, like it's, this is a lie. It's another one of those great lies. And we've got to be woken up to it. Um, again, here's another one. So this story, Netherlands to close up 3,000 farms to comply with EU rules. Again, another example of big government globalists. Why are they doing this? Read that subheadline. Government tries to cut down on nitrogen pollution in a move, blah, 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 blah. We, don't, we all know what they're saying. Climate change. They're doing this because of climate change. Of course. That's their new God. Okay. And it's going to be their new excuse for everything. This is their golden calf. They're going to climate change our lives into oblivion. And that's just the truth if we allow it. And so far, too many people are. But every day more people wake up and we can get to numbers where we truly scare them. And let me give you an example. 
just last week, news broke that um, the trucker convoy in Canada, did you guys know Joe Biden personally intervened to ask Trudeau to stop it by any means necessary because it scared the administration here in the United States because if a similar thing happened here, it put their power in jeopardy. That's the truth is when people take their power and we stand up, we voice things, we, we don't go away, we become a relentless pain in the neck. You don't, no violence ever. You don't need violence. You just need to be a relentless pain in the neck that does not go away in such numbers that you can't be ignored, that you have an effect on the global economy, that you have an effect on the local economy. And when that happens, good things can come as a result. And so the problem is, is, is not enough people are taking that action necessary, but I want to go back to the story because the farmland thing, it's important because this is part of a larger scheme. And to understand it, you have to understand what's been going on. And so there's a few things at play here. Number one, China has been buying up farmland in America for a long time now. They've amassed enough farmland to actually be larger than the landmass of Ohio. Okay. Um, and, and that's growing rapidly. And again, so let's just cover that by itself. What type of country goes and sells their farmland, their food production, their food sources to an enemy that hates them? A crazy country does that. A sane country does not do that. A sane country would never do that. In fact, not even a sane country, just a country that wants to survive would never do that. China, I want you to imagine me walking into China, okay? And let's pretend Robbie has $50 million to spend and I want to buy a couple farms. I go to China and I say, I'd like to buy this farm and this farm. The Chinese government would not only laugh at me, I'd be put on the next plane out back to the United States because it is lunacy. They'd probably think I was crazy. I might get locked in a mental institution. They might think I'm nuts because China would never allow the United States to have U.S. citizens buy farmland as a proxy for U.S. intervention in China because that's what it is. These Chinese companies are doing this through subcategories. It's really controlled by the CCP, and the CCP has choke points now in the American farmland and American economy where they can choke off your food supply. And again, force you to mobilize against it. It is fixable in a war scenario, but it forces you to mobilize people to places that are unnecessary, that had you not allowed this to happen, could have been mobilized elsewhere for the safety of U.S. citizens. You also allow the ability for a surreptitious attack. Imagine one of these Chinese entities decides to poison a large food source, something that goes all over the country. Ever thought about that? How easy that would be? About 70% of our pharmaceuticals already touch Chinese shores. Imagine that those get poisoned. How quickly could they take out a huge chunk of American citizens? Pretty quick. And so the more you realize this and the extent to which we've intertangled ourselves with tyrants across the world and put our people at risk as a result, the more you realize that sovereignty and really becoming a self-sufficient nation needs to be one of our biggest goals. And so um, this story is part again, of a larger picture. And a piece of this is that during COVID, billionaires started buying up mass amounts of farmland too. People like Bill Gates. Bill Gates is now one of the largest owners of farmland in the world. Why? Why is he so interested in owning the food supply and the food sources? Again, choke points. You have choke points for the economy. You can control habits. Because what if you buy up let's say the majority of meat okay all of the all of the ranches and farms that produce produce meat and and manufacturing and so on and so forth what if you decide to say we're shutting down we're only going to create bioengineered meat all of the grocery stores and 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 places like that where they have suppliers they'd be forced to end up taking that on real meat would become very rare and become very expensive only something the rich could afford Everybody else would be forced to have this genetically engineered fake meat that is laced with God knows what to make us turn into God knows what so that we have whatever problem they design for us to have, which they can then fix through Big Pharma or some mRNA vaccine. So you've got to connect the dots here because all of these things do connect to one another. And this is another piece of that puzzle. When you have governments that have already been given the authoritarian power to shut down farms and to unilaterally say, 
we're shutting down your family business. You no longer have a farm. Here's your money. Now be quiet and don't cause any problems or you're not going to get the money because that's what's happening in, in the Netherlands is they're essentially saying you shut up and take the money or you're going to be in big trouble. Okay. And the Dutch farmers to the, to their credit um, and the, the people in the Netherlands, um, they've all risen up and they've said, you know, we have a problem with this. The, the farmers have at least, and they've staged all types of protests. I do think that things could change there as a result of the protests, if they are prolonged enough and if they are difficult enough for the elite there where they have to go backwards. Now, the other thing that we've got to make a priority is, you know, we have to be proactive and on offense, not just on defense with all these things. We have to also be on the offense to, to build out our own things that are impenetrable within industry by the left, by these authoritarian tyrants, by rhinos too. And so that's, that's one of the next steps. I'll be spending a lot of time on that this year. That is a very important part of our future is creating that reality where they cannot go and penetrate into, into what matters. And, and that's been one of the big problems is we, we had a system that people got lazy, they got sleepy, and they allowed full-on Marxists and communists to take over pretty much every pillar of culture in our country and then thereby all of the larger institutions. That's why when you look at all these big bureaucracies and institutions throughout the U.S. or industries like Hollywood, they're all dominated by the left. You know, every piece of art and culture, too. And what's crazy about it is, is the number of, of actual artists and musicians and stars out there who are conservative is actually a pretty decent number. They just don't speak up because they've been trained to be terrified into silence. And this is something that I've, you know, um, I'm not understanding of. I think it's very cowardly of them. Most of them have enough money to survive and uh, a lot of them more than enough to survive. And there's plenty of other things they could do. They can help be a part of building out an alternative. And the idea that silence is the answer and you allow a tyrant to shut you down because you fear being able to make money, that means money is the root of what you care about. And when money is the root of what you care about all the time, you're missing the point. Money matters. It's important. But at the root of our actions in life needs to be some sort of moral foundation and core where there's lines set that you don't cross. And one of those lines should be that you don't pretend to be somebody else for money. That's just always been one for me. I'm not going to pretend to be somebody else to make money. Um, and that's why I walked away from Hollywood because Hollywood was becoming a place where you could not be authentically conservative. And I, I needed to be able to, to have a voice and to also set an example for my kids and for the future, for other people in Hollywood. So again, um, there's, there's quite a few other stories I want to cover today. Um, but before I get into that, I did want to play a clip for you guys. Um, I've talked to you guys a lot about my show. Um, it's, it's launching officially on the first. So later this week, and it's going to launch with a pre-taped episode, but um, we're going to do one pre-taped episode a week. The other ones are going to be live shows like this where we go through everything and it'll technologically advance as time goes on. You'll see, you know, new technological advancements, you know, you're going to grow with us uh, is basically what I'm saying. But I want to show you guys a trailer for the first episode. We're not releasing the trailer publicly, so I'm trusting you guys not to screen record it and put it anywhere or anything like that. Um, but I wanted to give you guys a sneak peek of the trailer for the first episode. Um, because you guys have been loyal. Many of you who are on here right now are people who have followed me for a very long time. And um, I wanted you guys to see it first and then we'll, we'll share it with the public um, later this week. So here we go. So you may or may not have seen in 2013 an interview with a Navy SEAL, Chris Beck. He came out as a transgender Navy SEAL. But why we're here today is because of everything happening in America with this transition craze that's going on with kids. You have something that you want to tell the world. What is that? Everything you see on CNN with my face, do not even believe a word of it. Everything that happened to me for the last 10 years, they destroyed my life. I destroyed my life. I'm not a victim. I did it to myself, but I had some help. Transgender ideology is, is cultish and it's not science-based at all. They take that desire, that innate human desire to want to change and to want to help people, and they use it, just like a cult leader would. 
And the parents are so desperate to fit in with this ideology because of the fear of the us them. They don't want to be othered. So now they're using the children as these trophies of like, look at me. I have a child that I'm accepting of. So that's the trailer for the first episode. Um, I'm really excited for We're going to be diving into really important subjects and people and go deep on it. Um, not just the surface level stuff. We're going to go really deep on it. Some long form interviews that really dive into subjects and break it down for you. So this story, though, for the first episode is going to cover Chris Beck, um, who is one of the most decorated um, soldiers that, that we've got in the military. Amazing veteran uh, in terms of his service. He did 13 tours and just did incredible things. But then in 2013 was convinced that he was transgender by a VA doctor who he met one time um, before they put him on hormones, an hour long visit, and then convinced Chris to um, sell the story and write a book and go on CNN and this, that, and the other. Um, a lot of it fits all of the, the patterns of a psychological operation, which Chris is very familiar with from his um, you know history in, in the Navy as a special operator. Um, he understands this stuff and he's he's coming out now as detransitioning, but also to expose what's going on and to warn the children how dangerous this ideology is and how poisonous it is. And his wife just does an incredible job or his fiance, rather, she does an incredible job breaking down um, how all of this works. And so it's going to be a really great watch. I hope you guys join us for it on the first. Um, but now to the other stories. Um, one of the first things I wanted to tell you guys about is um, I want to play a video for you because... I was wondering with all the China protests, why has our president not come out and said a dang thing to support the Chinese people protesting for freedom? And obviously the obvious answer is he's owned by China. China has so much blackmail on his family that he's afraid to say a word. So um, I'm gonna play the first politician who said something and it connects the Apple story and the China story beautifully and this this is what we need to demand from all of our politicians going forward in terms of response to these things. There's reports that Apple is not allowing the protesters to use this airdrop function where they're trying to communicate. That obviously is providing aid and comfort to the CCP. And so you see that report and that's very concerning. And then when you also hear reports that Apple is threatening to remove Twitter from the app store, because Elon Musk is actually opening it up for free speech and is restoring a lot of accounts that were uh, unfairly and illegitimately suspended for putting out accurate information about COVID. That's like one of the main things that's being reinstated. So many things these experts were wrong at, and you had people on Twitter that were calling that out. And Twitter, the old regime in Twitter, their response was to try to just suffocate the dissent. And, and, and Elon Musk knows that's not a winning formula, and so he's uh, providing free speech. And so if Apple responds to that uh, by nuking them from, from the App Store, you know, I think that that would be a huge, huge mistake. And it would be a really raw exercise of monopolistic power that I think would merit a response uh, from, from the United States Congress. And so uh... he said something very important there, which is why I stopped the video there. Um, the rest is is not as important. He talked about their monopolistic power. That is absolutely something that we need to make a primary concern in terms of how we go after big tech is how do we stop monopolies from being destructive to people? And Apple is a great example, if they do go forward with this, of a monopoly using their monopolistic power to hurt people and their rights. And so this is why we've got to be a trust-busting party again, like we used to be. And I think Josh Hawley's been a great example in that regard. He's talked about that extensively, and um, I'm glad to see that DeSantis is also talking about that. Now, disturbing story. Um, you know, I've been asked a lot about healthcare, especially I ran for Congress in a district where healthcare is is really important. Lots of healthcare businesses here in in Middle Tennessee, and so healthcare is something I'm always interested in. Um, I've been asked a lot about government-run healthcare, and specifically, you know, people go, "Oh, well, look at Canada. Canada system. These are all always people who've never been to Canada. Canada system's fantastic. Look at the UK system. It's fantastic. I don't even want to get started with the NHS in the UK because it is horrific. It's terrible. Okay, 
So let's start with Canada. Let's take a look at what Canada is doing right now because they can't keep up with taking care of mentally ill people, disabled people, and people who, you know, really, they don't need much. They really don't. I mean, let's just watch the video first. This is a real ad. There's a real ad playing in Canada right now, okay? It's for assisted suicide. Last breaths are sacred. When I imagine my final days, I see bubbles. I see the ocean. I see music. Even now, as I seek help to end my life, there is still so much beauty. You just have to be brave enough to see it. Honestly, I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. The depths of darkness we have allowed in our world is truly, truly despicable. You look at this stuff that is being mainstreamed. It is the most evil of the evil. Government allowing or stepping in and assisting in killing people off because it's easier than taking care of them. I can think of very few things that are more sick. I want, I want to show you this story goes further. This is an op-ed that was just put out. It says, I couldn't afford to live, so I asked doctors to help me die, and they said yes. This is, again, Canada, um, because they were homeless. This is how they're dealing with their problems of not being able to sufficiently meet the healthcare needs in a government-run healthcare system. This is how they're dealing with homelessness in a system where the government promises that they'll fix everything. This is what happens when you trust government to be your daddy. You trust government. Big daddy government is always going to save you. This is the end result. And I just want to warn people that this is what happens. If you don't want this to be your future, now is the time to speak up. And you're going to get sick of me saying that, but I'm never going to stop. That's why it's so important to speak up and to share the truth. And so you can start by sharing you know, this stuff. Share the show. Clip stuff out of the show. Whenever you guys want, you can screen record, take something, run with it. I don't care. I'm not going to be one of those people that's like, oh, I, I don't want you posting without giving me credit. I don't care. Take whatever from the show and spread the truth, okay? I just want the truth out there more than anything because, you know, everybody has different motivations for what they do. There's some people that are in, uh, you know, this this line of activism and this line of, of, of news or whatever you want to call it, and they're in it for the wrong reasons. They're in it to make money or to be important or whatever it is. I am strictly doing this for my children and my grandchildren. That's it. That's all me and my wife do this for is for our kids, our grandkids. We're very upfront about that. That's my motivation. I want to make sure that I leave the world a place where they have opportunity, where they can achieve the American dream, where they are free. That's it. Very simple. And so, um, you know, if you want those same things, make sure you share the truth. It's important. We've got um, two other stories uh, before we're out today. We're running a little, actually, we're pretty much on time. Um, We've got this story here, Washington Post. This is a real review, a real review from the Washington Post, okay? Downstate is a play about pedophiles, Washington Post headline says. It's also brilliant. This is tough stuff. Questioning how society treats those convicted of heinous acts. I would show you the article, but it's worse. It's on my Instagram. If you really want to see it, go to Instagram.com slash Robbie Starbuck. You can see all the slides. It'll show you the whole story. I don't want to give clicks to the the Washington uh, Bezos post. So I just took the story and put it up there. (laughs) We'll see if they sue me for it. Um, I would love to see them go, oh, we're going to sue him for putting up our pedophile propaganda story and calling it out. That'd be great. Um, I'm happy to go to court and expose them further. Um, These people are sick. My wife and I have warned for a long time now. It's been pretty much a decade. Warning that the normalization of pedophilia is an actual agenda on the left. Look no further than everything that you see in front of your face. Today, in just one show, we had the Balenciaga story. We had 7,000 convicted pedophiles being released early, only serving less than a year in prison in California. Convicted rapists, child molesters. We're talking about people who commit the most heinous crime you can commit. 
Democrats are letting them off. And then we've got this story here, pedophile propaganda, but propped up by the Washington Bezos Post. This is the reality that we are dealing with now because too many people in political life didn't believe this train was actually coming. They didn't listen to the warnings. The warnings are now reality. Now that it's reality, the question no longer becomes, how do you stand in front to make sure this doesn't happen? The question now is, how do you reverse this? And that comes with a unified, loud majority. And that's why my call, my siren sound for the next couple years is going to be the creation of the loud majority. We do not want a silent majority. Never again. Never again. Never talk about being a silent majority. Silent majorities, they have no power. They have no power. The loud group of crazed people, they will have power if a silent majority exists. Because guess what? A silent majority doesn't show up if an election you know, has problems. Because they're silent. They don't want to raise a red flag. They don't, they don't want to ruffle any feathers. They accept it and move on. The loud minority who's willing to do anything for power, they win when the majority is silent. And so that's why our future has to be a loud majority. Um, last story of the day, Elon Musk says the Twitter files on free speech suppression soon to be published on Twitter itself. The public deserves to know what really happened. This is going to be huge news, huge news. And if they're as transparent as I think they will be, I think we'll see some stuff involving my account in there as well, because, um, you know, we already have the evidence that um, the EIP, the Election Integrity Partnership, which is made up of four entities, um, those four entities were paid over $12 million in grants by the Biden administration. The EIP then had me on a list of the 20 most dangerous accounts um, for influence to um, Americans. They call this misinformation people. It was basically me, the Trump family, um, a couple of my friends like Jack Posobiec, um, Charlie Kirk, Marjorie Taylor Greene, people like that. Um, there were 20 of us. And it had us on this list for censorship, that we were priority censorship targets, basically. And knowing that that's the case and knowing that right when that dropped and as they were doing this work, Twitter then search banned me. They put me on something called the search ban. Then they put me on a search suggestion ban and um, something else. They put me on these things. Um you know, I'm assuming that part of this transparency is going to involve that list of the 20 people who were were silenced in part because, you know, you had this group that coordinates with the Department of Homeland Security working to silence people who are a threat to Democrats. And so, um, you know, I'm excited for it. I really am. I think that um, I hope that it's as transparent as I think it will be, because if it is, it's going to be really earth shaking for the big tech companies, because it's going to expose not just Twitter's practices, it's going to expose all their practices. Because I can tell you right now, I'm willing to bet that he's going to have proof that coordination was going on between the big tech companies for censorship. Because I can tell you this from my own personal experience, when I had a search ban put on me, in that same 24 hour period, Instagram also put a search ban on my account. So it was a 24-hour period. This was during an election season. They did that simultaneously. I don't know how that happens aside from coordination of some kind. And so um, I, I'm willing to bet that that's something they're going to be able to find in this and will be able to expose. And, and I hope that that's the case because people do need to know the truth. And it's going to put pressure on all the other big tech entities to then have to be some form of transparent themselves in terms of, are you doing this? It's going to allow us a lot of ammunition too, or rather provide us a lot of ammunition for hearings that are going to take place once the Republican majority is uh, fully active in January. So once we're able to actually be in charge of the committees and, and do these hearings and subpoena people, this is going to give a lot of ammo to us in terms of the right questions to ask, to be able to press the right buttons and hopefully be able to actually get some consequences for these companies. You know, I think that at the end of the day, I think this goes far enough where people need to go to prison over it. When you have private entities working with the government to silence American citizens for political reasons, that's criminal. 
it's criminal. It's so un-American. It's unbelievable. It's something that absolutely should result in a prison sentence. And so I hope that that's the, the path that we are able to reach one day. I'm also a realist. And I know that without an executive, uh, a Republican in the White House, that it's highly unlikely we get that because we need a DOJ that's cooperative. And we all know the Department of Justice is not cooperative in any way. Um, they work against us at every turn. They're an entirely political institution. And the other thing that, you know, is a reality is that for us to get to this place, once we have the executive branch, we need whoever that person is to go and gut the bureaucracy, gut these organizations, gut the Department of Justice. The, the Democrats have built a machine off of having these partisan, insane agencies that are so incestuous, it's sickening in Washington, D.C., where they all do each other's bidding. If you don't want that to be the reality, whoever that next executive is needs to institute a policy to break up the bureaucracy. It should be called break up the bureaucracy. You take all of these groups, you know, say the whatever, you know, Department of Treasury, stick it in another state. Gut it, gut the employee base, stick it in another state. In D.C., it's become a uniparty monopoly of bureaucratic evil. You stick that sucker in Iowa and you have it staffed by a real representation of the American people split along the ideological lines that are normal for this country you're going to see very different actions from them. You do that with every single institution that is currently under the purview of the executive branch, and you are going to see massive change in this country. You're also going to see our expenses lower considerably because once you outsource you know, this outside of D.C. and you put it in real America, you get common sense again. You get people who are not going to be putting an approval together for a $3,000 screw. Okay. I think that that's the, that's the change we need. So, um, had a great show today with you guys. Love y'all excited for the first episode. Make sure that you tune in on the first and I'm going to ask you a favor on the first, when that first episode comes out, please, please, please share it with everybody. Share it with your friends and family. It's going to be, we're going to really be trying to get a lot of the views focused to rumble because rumble is going to be a great partner to us. Um, it is going to be posted everywhere so that everybody has access to it because I'm a big believer and you know, I know a lot of people like their platform they're on. I want to support these alternative companies though who don't hate us. And Rumble is one of those companies. So that's going to be the place where I really try to send a lot of people. We're still putting my page together right now at Rumble. I know they just verified it, so you can at least search and follow. Um, but on the first, everything will break loose. We'll have those uploads going. Some of the live shows are gonna um the old ones will be uploaded there as well, but all of the new ones going forward will be streaming there as well as these other uh, places. So if you haven't been to Rumble, go check it out. It's it's the alternative to YouTube. It's fantastic. They're a publicly traded company now. Uh, full disclosure, I, I have invested in Rumble myself. Um, you know, just not as a not as a partner or anything like that. But I've bought a, a lot of shares because me and my wife believe in the company, and so um, and that's not investment advice to anybody. I just like to be you know, really transparent with people about anything that I'm involved in so that I'm always giving you guys the truth. I'm never going to, you know, surreptitiously try to tell you to support something just because I support it. Um, I'm going to tell you guys the truth of the deal. So um, that's the deal with that. I'm a big believer in it. And I think that it's, it's an incredible company with incredible people there and they are working to do incredible good. So um, that's, that's the news. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode today. Talk to y'all soon.